The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Revelation 21, on the left-hand side of the outlines. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold! I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like it had a great and high wall. The city is laid out as a square, 2,400 kilometres, its length, width, and height are equal. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of those gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Hi, in the perfection that plagues us. Um, some of you have got um, last week's outline. It won't ruin your life, but it will make it easier for you probably if you have this week's outline. So if you wave an arm round, if you haven't got the one with uh, New World, New Creation on it, you have been ripped off. And rather than going to the Ombudsman, sort it out eternally. Well, um, apparently uh, there are quite a lot of people in the world who when they get a book um, will read the last couple of pages first. And many of the people who do that, I've got a family member who does that, are a little embarrassed about that. They feel as if they're being a little naughty. But they've simply discovered they enjoy reading a book more if they know roughly how it's going to end. And um, studies have shown that it's a fairly large percentage of us that do that often. And if you're one of those people, and I'm not, unless the book makes me very anxious, and I think, hang on, I'm supposed to be enjoying this, um, generally speaking, people who do that are more likely to be more intelligent than average people. So if you're that amongst feeling a little embarrassed, you can feel a little proud. And uh, remember, this, this book is the Apocalypse, which doesn't mean horrible in a story. It means a revelation. It means something which you couldn't possibly know without someone who's in the know saying, let me show you something. So the verb that goes from our side, and you'll see that again and again in the text, and I think we've highlighted it there for you, 
in chapter 19, and I saw, where it says uh, chapter 20, uh, then I saw, in chapter 21, then I saw. Because God, through his son Jesus, is revealing these things, therefore John, to whom it's being revealed, sees. Uh, He doesn't hear so much as he sees. A lot of the prophets hear, John sees, because it's an apocalypse, it's a revealing, it's an unveiling of all sorts of things, including the future. Now last week we looked at the fact that one of the reasons why life, no matter how hard we try and how many resolutions we make and how carefully we choose our jobs and how carefully we choose our partners, um, life always goes wrong. Um, Because according to the Bible, it has a very deep analysis of human problem, you're born in a war zone. You mightn't like it. You can whine about it all you like. It's not going to make it. You are born in a war zone. And there is a massively serious war going on around you. And you need to work out what's happening. And this is what the apocalypse will do. It reveals to us the fact that the red dragon, as is introduced to us, is at war with the child, which turns out to be Jesus. The red dragon, we're told, is the devil, the ancient serpent who lies. And he doesn't work out directly. It's very unlikely you'll meet the devil in any way sent Personally, he doesn't, he's not God, he can't be related to every person, and he's only one little person, one angel is all he is, powerful and you, but only one time, one place, he works through puppets, he works through proxies, beast one and beast two. Beast one is political power, which gets used to crush all mankind, but has a focus upon the, the brothers and sisters of the child who he sought to kill but couldn't, who's now enthroned. And beast two, is helpfully renamed through much of Revelation as the false prophet. He has the power of religion, false religion. Remember, he's the one that actually looks a bit like the lamb to that perception. So it will be something like the truth, but it will, it will lie to you and it will cause you to be obedient to the great power of B1. Now we're going to look today at the end. And we're going to travel roughly across four chapters really quickly, no problem at all, in 15 minutes. And we'll have plenty of time for questions, the Lord being my helper. So firstly, chapter 19, you've got a tiny bit of chapter 19 there. And if you haven't read the book of Revelation, it's a great book to read. Um, it's a magnificent piece of literature. But in chapter 19, you have the end of the present age. And in it, we run into a battle which is called elsewhere in the book, Armageddon. Right? And uh, Armageddon is named, it's a great battle, it's mentioned in chapter 16. But this is the same battle we told. That's what Revelation does. It tells the same story from a number of perspectives. That's what the Bible does from the beginning, where you get creation in Genesis 1 and 2, told from different perspectives, bringing us different wisdom and insights. Four Gospels are the one like Jesus. Here you've got the same thing happening in the end. This is the battle which is commonly known as Armageddon. Look at chapter 19, verse 19, top there. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. In chapter 19, earlier, we've got this, this picture of this man. This, I think you call him a man. looks like a man. He's called the Word of God. He is magnificent with crowns. His eyes are like fire. From his mouth comes a two-edged sword. And he's called, his, his robe is covered in blood, in his own blood. And um, he goes out to make war with a huge army. And I don't know if you've seen those great military movies. One of my favourites I saw many years ago. I'm not sure you watch it. Waterloo, which is about the great a history-changing battle between Wellington and Napoleon, and you have all this magnificent getting ready as the French come and the British come and the French look all sexy and dapper and the French lose. Um, it's a very good, but that's okay. Um, but 
the battle is, most of the thing is the battle itself. But there's this great warm-up. When you read a number of times Armageddon, it's called this final great battle between the dragon, the devil, and his beasts, and those who's collected to help him. You get ready for a great battle. And here's the battle for you in verse 20. Verse 19, the two armies assemble. It's told in greater detail in chapter 16. He's such a disappointment. The beast was seized with him, the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, that's the two beasts, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two are thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Talk about a bad storyteller. There is simply no great final struggle. There is a great final battle, but it's over before you know it. The, 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 the devil is just picked up and thrown into the lake of fire. His two proxies and puppets, huge governmental power, massive false religion, also thrown into the fire where they burn. Uh, chapter 20, we have the final destruction of the devil himself, the red dragon. The devil was who, de- who deceived them. The Bible's very consistent. How does the devil work? Not through, you know, things like in movies. Simply by lying to you about the nature of God and how you should relate to God. He's happy with that. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet also was and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. We know in the end that the architect and the source of the great powers of evil that have run amok in the world uh, will lose decisively and clearly and cleanly in a moment. That's why the Bible keeps saying to those who are the centre of their hatred, those who cling to Jesus and bear testimony to him, you don't, you don't beat the devil, you don't fight the beast, you endure faithfully. That's all you can do. Keep following Jesus, even to the point of you losing your, your life and those around you. It is God himself, it is the one on the throne, the one on the horse, who will demolish. Well then, we, we're going to skip across chapter 20 and come back to it right at the very end. We're going to look at chapter 21. Chapter 21 and 22 is where we get a brief but magnificent vision of what we would call heaven. Well, I don't think actually uses that word quite like that. But we would call that, that is that good stuff that we hope might come. And we, um, lie. I know it's coming because we've got the promise of a person who does not lie. Here's what he says here. We're now at point two, the beginning of the eternal or the new. Then I saw, see, Jesus reveals, he sees, and John did as Jesus told him, write down what you see. Now John was shown that so you could read it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for heaven, for her husband. And then verse 5, He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Now, I do wish we had... Uh, more time with just a brief overview of these chapters which you can read at your own leisure. Um, the two key words in, in this picture of heaven, of, of what we think is it's a new heaven and a new earth, it's not heaven, a floaty spiritually thing. There's going to be a new creation. We're not told here about it, but in 1 Corinthians 15 it speaks about you will have a spiritual body. If you, that is, if you're in this new creation, and by no means, according to Revelation 21 and 22, is everyone in. There's a whole bunch of people who miss out, we're told, repeatedly through these chapters and verses I've left out, not because I don't believe them, but because it's lunchtime. Um, but it's, you'll have a new body, a body like Jesus' resurrection body. 
But here it's talking about the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And, and the, the word that gets repeated again and again is new. Behold, I make all things new, says the one on the throne. He will recreate. He will, he will restore. And there's two words for new that he could have used. And one is new, which is basically chronological. It's new because it's the latest thing. That's not the word he chooses to use here. It's, this, this is the word for new that, that speaks of quality. A quality of freshness and crispness and cleanness. Uh, it's like a new day. You know, you wake up in those beautiful mornings, you can just feel the air is fresh and new, the wind has blown the pollution out. Particularly good if you had a strong wind and rain at night. You wake up in the morning and there's a crispness and a cleanness about those. You know, those of you who get up early in the morning, pity it. But, you know, it's a great time to be alive once you had your coffee. And uh, this is the word, it, 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 it's new. All things new, the one on the throne says, and he will create it. And then it's the, it describes the city, the new Jerusalem, which is the joy of the whole earth, we're told in the Old Testament. This is the city of God. Uh, and it's, um, look at it in verse 10, on the, on the top of the next page. And this is just a couple of tiny bits. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So God it comes down to the new earth, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like, and I've deliberately left it on the word like, uh, there is no attempt to describe this literally. There are other descriptions of heaven and other religions that it's impossible except to believe that they're literal and very fleshy they are. Uh, the whole thing here is it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, because he cannot tell you what it's like because we are too limited in our experience and our vocabulary. Uh, as I've mentioned before, how do you describe what it's like to eat a mango to an unborn baby? I hope this helps you because it's the most helpful thing for me. Yeah, the problem isn't it? Imagine you've got the Babylon fish and you can actually speak to the baby in English. The baby understands English. It's an intelligent baby. It's verbally developed in the, in the womb. Describe to the baby what it's like to eat a mango. Now, unless something goes terribly wrong, the baby will eventually eat a mango, which just happened to be my favourite fruit. I had a beautiful one last night. Um, cold, magnificent. They're tasty and sweet and juicy and they're a mess to eat, but they're just fantastic. I'd love to see the queen eat one. Um, but she had to peel herself. But, um, you see, how do you describe it? You say, oh, well, it's like a peach. Sorry, the baby's never eaten peach. Oh, well, it's like a... See, it's not like anything the baby's ever eaten because the baby, all, all the baby's ever tasted is amniotic fluid, which is kind of salty and tasty, if I remember properly. <laughs> I, have, I have a very fine memory. Um, but you see... But the mango is real, and the baby is going to leave the womb. It's got all the machinery, accidentally there, um, of taste, and all the wiring that goes to the brain so it can make sense of the taste. It's all there. But you can't describe it to the baby because of the baby's experiential limitations. That's all the problem is. It's not that the problem with the mango. The problem is that the baby simply hasn't had the experience. So but what he's doing here, what, what, what God is doing here, he's saying, let me tell you what the new heaven and new earth is going to be like. It's going to be like this and like that. And you bring it all together and you can't make great sense of it, you're not meant to. Because you can't. You're in the womb of eternity. That's all you are. You'll either go home to this or you'll go to heaven. So that's the clear teaching of Jesus. And he's trying to let you see what this long-term future will be like so he pictures the city. Look at what he says about the city, just to help you get an idea. It's full of the glory of God. It's brilliance of light. There's a whole thing. It's like this. It's like this. He says it has a great and high wall. Why does he mention a wall? We don't get walls. Uh, to live in a city with a wall in those days was, was such a comfort. 
radio pipes can come over the horizon, there's no early warning systems, no satellites, you could be minding your own business, now having a gin and tonic after a hard day's work in your house, someone comes to your dead. Your family's off to You've got a wall around the city. It's a, it was one of the best things rulers ever did to their, to their people as they built walls. Now they're not much use now with cannons and bombers and things like that. But he's talking to the people of this day. A wall city. But the wall was 75 metres tall. Ridiculous wall. But it's saying you're really safe. Perfectly safe. There's no need to fear. That background anxiety that realists live with has gone. There's a, it, it's secure. It's laid out in a square. 2,400 kilometres. That's from here to Adelaide, I think, roughly. That's a biggish city. Right? From Sydney to Adelaide, it's, it's a square, so it's the same. And it's 2,400. So you like, you like an apartment with a view? <laughs> now, don't get all literalistic on this. You, you, you don't take the book seriously if you get all literalistic on it. When Jesus says you are to be like doves, he's not saying you should sprout feathers. And only a twit says, oh, Jesus says we should walk around, you know, weirdly like a dove does. It, it, adults use picture language to explain big things. What's he all about? Well, the only other square we know of in the whole of the Bible is where? I'm sure some of you know. Where's the only other square we know in the Bible? It's mentioned. I'm oh, sorry, it's cubed. It's in the centre of the temple, the Holy of Holies. The place where symbolically God met his people, in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it's saying, this whole city is the Ark of the Covenant. It's massive. There's plenty of room for the number too great to be numbered, as the Bible speaks of that. And it's huge, and it's, it's absolutely impregnated with the presence of God. You don't need to go and see God, even in heaven. God is not geographically located anywhere. He is, this is part of the newness of it. And every single pleasure you've ever enjoyed, even if you've enjoyed it sinfully, whether it be food or alcohol or sex or any pleasure you've ever enjoyed, music, books, is all a tiny reflection of the character and goodness of God. All pleasure comes ultimately from God the great heavens. We may, and even may, be tempted to misuse it, but all pleasure is a reflection of God. It's all there. And it's sizzling. Beautiful. Look at it. It says, you know, it's, it's, look at this next thing. Then we'll have to move on. Twelve gates. Twelve pearls. The pearly gates are not like we picture it, encrusted with mother of pearl. The gate is a pearl. Engineers get to work on that sucker. Pearls were the most expensive and I think are probably the most beautiful of all precious stones, in my humble opinion. But in those days, diamonds were useless. We couldn't cut them. Right? But the pearl came straight from nature beautiful. And so it's the most beautiful sort of decorative thing they've got, but it's a gate. It's big. It's round. And the streets are paved with gold, are made with gold, so pure it's, it's see-through. What does that mean? People will kill you for gold. We murder for gold. We abandon all sorts of relationships for gold. Right? You, you know, I've only once in my life walked around Sydney with a lump of gold. It was worth about $15,000 that a friend loaned it to me. And I felt nervous on the dark North Shore streets. Right? Because suddenly I had a mountain of money in a time, and it was gorgeous. I'd never seen a lump of gold. It, it just felt perfect. It looked, and I, I suddenly got the gold madness. And people will kill you for gold, you'll sell your soul for gold. Right? But in heaven, in the new city, we'll pay the streets with it. Right? 
the most valuable, the most beautiful, the most pleasurable thing here? Nothing. Right. Maybe I went to Lord Howe Island with his wife one time. And Lord Howe Island's a very beautiful island. He went to church there. There was an old retired bloke there, white hair, like a center of an old Anglican vicar, but a godly one. And Simon said to him, do you think that heaven will be a bit like Lord Howe Island? And the minister looked off to the hills and across to the ocean and said, the eye of man has not seen, nor the mind of man conceived, nor the ear of man heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Quoting one Corinthians. And Simon said, I felt suitably chastened. <laughs> the bloke was saying, are you kidding? Are you kidding? The most beautiful island in the South Pacific, perhaps, in many ways, and yet it's nothing. This is the newness of the city. And the essence of the city is with, that God is with us. You want to see if you're an ungodly wretch and if your spirituality is worth nothing? What is your picture of paradise on the diamond? If it's fundamentally not got God at its centre, you're either the tiniest, shallowest baby Christian, which you should be thankful, or you know nothing about spirituality. There's whole religions that have built their picture of nirvana and it's a God-free zone. Many Australians, when they talk about paradise and heaven that their uncle goes to whatever, it's a God-free zone. And God's not even meant to be in heaven. There's a person who needs God to open up their eyes. It's all about God being with us and God being close to us and God wiping our tears away. And lastly, the question of who's there and who isn't. Revelation 20, verse 11, that's sort of the second passage there. Who, this, you've got the end of all the great beasts and the, sort of arch, the architects of evil. Then you've got in 21 22 where God will take us home to. And in the middle in chapter 20 is a chapter about the great who goes where. Do you go to heaven and home or do you end up in hell? The real people in Sydney go to hell. Verse 11. Chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne. Again, thrones. This is the book of the throne. God's on the throne. Great white throne, and him who sat upon it. From his presence, earth and heaven fled away. So terrifying is the presence of God in this picture that it scares the life out of the earth and heaven as they run away. Verse 12. Then I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which they had that were written in the books according to their deeds. So you see the picture you've got here? A whole few, there's God on the throne, there's humankind, all of us, you know, Alexander the Great, uh, Wallace Mackenzie, my grandfather, um, Julia Gillard, who'll be dead then, um, uh, Muhammad, Buddha, all of them, anyone who's been lived in, is dead, right? They'll all be there before, you'll be there, and it's all done in silence, you say nothing. No smart cracks. Your breath will be knocked out of you by the side of the one who's in front of you. And the picture is that there are books. And the books, there's a book with my name on it, and, and it has my deeds in it. Your deeds consist of your thoughts, your words, and your specific actions. And, as the Bible tells us, a list of the deeds that you should have done and didn't. Sins of omission are as often, in fact, more often mentioned by Jesus on judgment based stories. And... You'll be judged. There's a book with you on that's mine, it's yours. And the books will be looked at. And your deeds are there. And then there's another book, which is mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. And it's mentioned for us there in verse 
and verse 15. Let's go to verse 15, we're running out of time. What's, what's in, the, what's in the, the other book? Not deeds, not deeds, not deeds, not, not what you've done. All that's in the book of life is name. See in verse 15, if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What's in the, the book of your deeds is not enough to earn you a place in a just and pure heaven. It is enough to exclude you. Your only hope is, is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when it goes to you, you're there, and they go down to your name. So that's not here. Uh, and what he says is, if your name is not there, you'll be thrown into the lake of fire. You have consciously, at some level, allied yourself with the God-free life. You've allowed yourself to be deceived by the evil one rather than be enlightened by him who is true to Jesus. And therefore, if you're not trusting in Jesus, your name is not in this book. No matter how good your CV is, the only thing that matters is whether or not Jesus has bled and died for you, and whether or not you follow the advice of that last verse to come to him. And to come to him as the lamb who was slain for you, and the lion who rules, and have your name. Because if your name is not in his book, you will not be welcomed into the new heaven and the new earth. And so that's the obvious, the obvious key thing for us to work out is, is my name in the book? I take it my name is, not because I'm a good guy. My, my book of deeds is pretty ordinary, and that's very nice. But I, my trust is in the land who was slain. And I picture myself, the Bible doesn't say this, that the names are kind of written in blood. Our names are there because he died for us. And that's the question, whether or not your name... And that's the final apocalypse, when you will stand before God and you will see uh, the truth about your relationship with God and the thing that the Bible says is, be sure you've got that sorted out now, while you still can. I so you can go home after the new heaven. Well, I've gone over time, I'm sorry. And let's see if we've got some questions. I do have some questions, but just uh, quickly before um, we go to questions... This week is the second last week in the forum and on the inside were information cards. Uh, there'll be some changes next year. We also want to let you know when the forum will be starting back in 2015. So if everyone can please fill them out. We want to update our database. If you've already filled one in the past, maybe our records are, are a bit old. They need to be made new. Um, and so if you can fill those out, that would be fantastic. And I do have some questions by SMS, so I'll start. Oh, oh yes, uh, if, you don't have, if you don't have an information card, please let us know, and Peter will, um, Peter will pass them around. I didn't have one, so I just thought they weren't interested in my... Okay. <laughs> yes, sir. We can multitask in a shorter time. Yep. Uh, dear Ian, what mark of the beast represents... Uh, what, what is the mark of the beast, and what does it represent yeah. or resemble? So this is in the yeah. first passage, uh, Revelation 19, verse 20, those who receive the mark yeah. of the beast. Thanks for that. The mark of the beast comes up first in um, at the end of the chapter we looked at last week, uh, 666, and it's on the hand and the, the um, forehead. And remember, we're dealing with... The, there are some people who genuinely think that there will be a day when you'll be... Um, you'll have numbers on your forehead. That's why some people are very nervous about chips being put in people. 
And as has been mentioned, when bank card came in, which, which had a symbol that was the original sort of credit card, it had a symbol that, which looked like 666, it was BBB, but you know, a small B, so it looked like a 6. I, I think the thing to remember is this book is so overwhelmingly pictorial. So it's saying in the end that, that the, when the beast, this governmental beast, and works with the false prophet, if you, if you won't wear its mark and think its thoughts and live its way, you'll find that you will be excluded from the ordinary business of life. So it's a question of how you think. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this age, but be renewed in your minds. Learning to think thoughts that start with God rather than finish with God at the very end. Right, so even when we talk about heaven, most Australians don't mention God. And some people, I remember there was a beautiful letter to the editor in the Herald a couple of years ago, which was annoyed with Christians trying to put Jesus into this Christmas stuff. That was, it was almost humorous. But um, Whereas if you, if you learn just to think the way our culture is, oh, you're allowed to believe in God. Just leave him in the private realm right? and bring him in to support us in various things. But it's the way of thinking that is the mark of the beast that gives primary allegiance to here and now and to the present culture rather than to the God who made man uh, and the way that you act. I don't, you, I don't think you'll ever see it. People are wearing it already. Another question on the text. Um, in chapter 21, what is the significance of the sea and the fact that there is There's no, no sea. sea? It worries surfers when they read that. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's a favourite text for a Christian surfers organisation. Um, the, the, um, if it's any comfort, in chapter 21, which we didn't get to it, it tells you more about the city. There's a beautiful river flowing down through the middle yes. of the of the city. So it's a garden city. It's like a city full of national parks in a sense. So it's not all urban space. Um, and it's only a picture anyhow. Um, uh, the the sea for the for the Jewish people and throughout the Bible is a picture of restless, untrustworthy evil. So evil things come out of the sea. Now the Jewish people don't like the sea. So that they picture, the great prophet of pictures the sea as like a restless evil, and there's no rest for the wicked, where that phrase comes from. Because it's like, it's never trustworthy. You can go out, and I've had this experience in my little tinny. I nearly drowned one of my daughters once, went down Jarvis Bay. It was absolutely gloriously peaceful. By the time we came back, I was scared out of my brain because I was going to kill her. Uh, I was pretending I wasn't scared. And I suddenly, it's, it's, the sea is so magnificent but so dangerous. So the picture is there'll be none of that. Thing that looks nice and calm and seduces you, and then the next thing you're really dead. So it's, it's a picture of evil being removed. Another question, uh, two questions on a similar line. The wall is built for protection, but after Satan is bound yeah. and thrown in, yeah. what's the purpose of the yeah. wall? And also, if the devil is destroyed, why do I need to be afraid of it? You know, I say this is the thing with the city. The city, it, it's a picture of you will be dwelling in utter security. In the ancient world, whether you lived in Jerusalem or in Antioch or in Rome, what you got an enormous amount of good sleep over was the size of the walls. So it's just a, it's not just a picture, it's a picture. And you can understand, we don't have walls now, we have other things that we keep us in. We've got investments, we've got a security alarm. You know, I've been watching this show called An Honourable Woman, and a poor lady every night, she sleeps in this massive sort of panic room. Because it's the only place she can sleep where she feels secure. And it's saying that you know, there is nothing to fear here. And there's two ways that the city is described. It, it starts off being described as God himself will wipe away every tear. And I have had only 
few moments in my life where I've had the honour of wiping away my daughter's tears. And it's a very intimate thing to, to just answer. And that's, and that's the relationship between you and God. And he knows that you've wept. And he knows how life's been hard in this war zone. And he will wipe away every tear and then there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more illness. There's what's called the via negative where you describe heaven by the removal of that which ruins life. And then there's the positive way where it says all that you would dream of life it, it will be now. And the problem is this, at this point we get all cynical. See, when the Bible talks about hell, we go, ooh, nasty Jesus talking about hell. And when it talks about heaven, we go, ooh, silly Jesus talking about how nice God is. It's, a, it's weird how us judgmental humans can bowl God out no matter what he says to us. I believe in the, the brilliance of heaven simply because Jesus does. My only reason for believing Never been there, never seen it. I'm suspicious of, you know, uh, everyone lives happily ever after. But he says that I believe it. And so the walls just mean you'll be secure. If that doesn't mean you, you can get the message. Cool. Yeah. I don't know what the gates are for either. But, you know, a great city has gates. They sound fun. But the reality will be better than the picture. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.